Welcome to another episode of Foreign, Domestic and Forbidden, the podcast about books and ideas. I'm Tim Trash. I am Joaquin Lobo. And we'll be your hosts for the next hour. Joaquin, how are you? I'm happy to see you, my friend, my dear Tim Basuda. We're recording <laughs> on a Sunday morning, so I'm surprised that you're up. Thank you very much for being flexible and making yourself available on a Sunday. I had a busy, busy week with a lot of, not a lot, a few games, soccer, soccer. I hate to say soccer, football games. Let's call uh, it football. Let's call it just football. Okay, let's call it football. Yeah. yeah, because no one else calls it soccer. So those, and I'm Mexican. It's it's football. Yeah. No. Foosball. Football, not football. Football. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, it was a busy week for, for football. I have not been watching, but I've I, I couldn't help keeping up with the scores and the drama and and we have a really really cool game coming up, but we can talk about that um in sort of half a minute minute. Um just a little bit of housekeeping today. It's the end of the year. If you haven't done so already, give us a five-star review, subscribe to us. Uh, you won't be bothered by any commercials, any advertising, no nothing. Uh, we're just totally uh, all not natural. And um, yeah, give us a review and keep listening. Keep, please, uh, recommending us to your friends, to your family, to everyone you know. If you hate our podcast, recommend it to your worst enemies so they have to listen to it. And yeah, and it's the holidays, almost, not quite. Yeah, we do you have, have lights? Do you have do you have lights up at your house outside? Not yet, but right now, even as we speak, my wife is working on, on lights and Christmas tree and all of that. We're behind this year. Cool. Our son wanted lights and he wanted a tree. This, you know, we're not really Catholics, but uh, we usually have a tree and lights because you know we wanted our son to have like a normal. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in our neighborhood and he's used to that and he likes it so we'll do it again this year yeah yeah our neighbor is an avid hunter and wow. he has he has some of these lighted reindeer figurines figures statues whatever you call them lawn <laughs> ornaments and I've seen those. Yeah, and, and so he has three of those. Two are standing on the lawn, but one is hanging by the rear haunches from the tree. Oh, and amazing. they put they put a lighted string, so the uh, <laughs> red lights from <laughs> from its body down to the ground oh, where, oh, it, where it pools on the ground. So That's so amazing. the reindeer is is bleeding <laughs> out and I'm I'm kind of appalled by it. I'm I'm yes. Um I, I don't know. I, I, I was looking at it and I was like trying to figure out what in the world that was. And then I saw it and recognized what he had done. And I was like, the poor kids, you know, Rudolph the rat nosed reindeer is hanging from a tree bleeding to death. Exactly. That's both brilliant and scary. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really sinister. And at the same time, I love it. You know, it's just so raw and, and brutal and seamless. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's amazing. It is. And it comes also, across as incredibly honest. You know, it's like, this is who I am. I don't give a shit. Deal with it. Yeah. Don't yeah. ever get in a fight with, with that guy, please. James, stay away from your neighbor. Yeah, the, the, there's also a truck here in the neighborhood, and on the tailgate on the back, they have painted um, sort of a trompe l'oeil. Like you, you, you feel as though you're looking not against sort of the tailgate, but inside the bed of the truck, and you can see painted into it is a dead deer. You know, right. and, and who would put that on their freaking truck? I mean, I'm just I, like, why Why would you paint a dead deer on your truck? And it's just like... We um, should invite a hunter and what to, you know, we, there are a lot of riders who hunt. There's this very famous Mexican rider, Guillermo Arriaga, who's also a filmmaker and he's, who's done a lot of interesting yeah. stuff. Uh, he's a hunter. He's a bow hunter. Hmm. And I always felt that I, I always found it morally reprehensible to kill animals, except when you're going to barbecue them. Yeah. And totally okay to go to Savoy and buy meat, et cetera, et cetera. I eat meat. Yeah. Um, but there is something that I find very disturbing about killing animals. And I know that I'm it's not part of my culture because if you're you know, if you're if you're raised in a place where you know your grandpa, your dad, your uncle, so everybody was a hunter and it's just part of your life. There are many, many ways of making that perfectly normal and acceptable to justify it in a very rational way. Rational way. I, I just don't come from that kind of background, so I, I freak out with hunting. I just think that it's profoundly wrong and evil, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All the glitches, right? But I'm sure that you know it. It would be an interesting conversation to have a writer who who hunts in the show. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrew, two shows ago, mentioned that Richard Ford was an avid bird hunter. Yeah, I can totally see that guy killing things. Yeah, and and of course, Hemingway was a big game hunter and very yeah. proud of it. And when you see photos of wherever he lived, there's all these mm -hmm. stuffed animals hanging on the walls. And right. Uh, he, yeah, I find it somewhat repulsive, the sport. The neighbor here who has this Rudolph hanging from a tree, at least he actually eats his kills. I mean, he has giant freezers in his garage, and he's really hunting and fishing for food. So I can respect that. That's well, not let just... me tell you, in the spirit of Christmas, let me tell you that I ate reindeer in Norway uh, <laughs> about two years ago. It's very tasty. I loved it. Totally yeah. recommend it. In your next trip to Scandinavia, try to find some reindeer and eat it because, you know, it's like, I don't know, like venison or something like that. It's just yeah. very tasty kind of meat. But people freak out, you know, when you eat reindeer because they, they, always, they always think of Christmas and... Yeah all that, um, you know, uh, 
romantic, stuffy cliche of of cozy, uh, red, red and green and and musical and yes. loving uh, season of the year. Yeah, yeah, no, de definitely, definitely. And I still recall whenever you say reindeer, I think of people biting off the balls of the reindeer like like to castrate them I, I i can't get that out of my head say reindeer and and i think about castration so i didn't know that Where did yeah we, we talked we talked a little bit about that when auntie was on the pod oh um, jesus christ it, apparently it's really true um he seemed to <sighs> view it with a little bit of suspicion but okay. i've read actually uh, non-fiction like reports on that practice in in old Finland I don't think they do it anymore but but it used to be a, a very common practice to keep the male reindeer from marking their territory and doing other unwanted stuff um, sort of like we spay and neuter dogs um they kept them as as domestic animals and so they wanted to get rid of their balls for civilized europeans or civilized scandinavians scary it is scary i, I but i love the image i, I just <laughs> i love the image uh it's 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 beautiful yeah so but we were talking about much less um bloody sports today not hunting but we're going to talk about football yes yes let's talk about football because i i've spent a lot of time in the past three weeks watching the world cup i'm thinking a lot about the world cup and after 36 years of life in the u.s i'm pretty used to not having a context where everyone is excited about about the world cup or about soccer in general. Now more, I'd say, because the younger generation of kids play soccer and uh, kids have been playing soccer for quite a long time now. It's become a, a very important sport in the U.S. as opposed to, you know, 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Now uh, the Americans have an amazing women's uh, national team for they soccer, yes. actually. Uh, being world champions, and they have a you know pretty decent men's uh, national team in in football that was eliminated, of course, uh, this this World Cup to the regret of a lot of their American fans. I don't think the regret of a lot of people from other places, because I don't think that the American uh, football team is as beloved outside of the U.S. as other teams are. And I'm thinking that's France, true. Argentina or Brazil, you know, you don't need to be Argentinian or Brazilian to love uh, those teams. Uh, but I doubt that that's the case with um, um, the American team. I, anyway, I think I think they've never had sort of a marquee player that you remember. You know, you you say Brazil and oh. it's Pelé, and and you say Argentina, it's Maradona, and but True. but. But America has never had the soccer superstar that you could identify with or that's so much larger than life that you will always remember that person when you when you hear American. That's a, that's a great point. 
that's a really really good point because of course I I grew up with you know this great love and devotion for Pelé because that was a great player of my generation I was a kid a little kid and you know everyone yeah. wanted to be Pelé yeah uh, I remember the the World Cup in in Mexico in 1970. I mm. was nine years old, and I remember it very, very well. Yeah. And the ocean of, of having Pelé playing his probably third World Cup in Mexico and winning. Uh, and I remember the chance, otro gol Brazil, otro gol Brazil. Everyone was so excited and so much in love with, with Brazil. And, you know, I, I also remember that many years later, and this was, I was already 29 years old. I was in, in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, and I got lost somewhere. Wow. And and I, I went to eat at some place and they charged me a lot of money. The point is that I ended up without any cash, far from where I was staying at in Brazil. And I hailed a cab and I got in the cab and this old guy, older black guy, was really, really nice. And I didn't speak a lot of Portuguese, but, you know, I managed to to tell him what happened, that I didn't have any cash, and that I, I was happy to give him my watch, you know, compensate him for his time of, of his gas. Oh. So he said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll talk, we'll talk about it. So he drove me for like at least half an hour. I was, I was far from where I was staying. Um, when we arrived at the place, he said, okay, here you are. Have a great time. And I was like, no, no, wait, wait, let me give you something. You know, I, and I, I was like really, really embarrassed because that never happened to me. Yeah. And he listen, I remember the way Mexicans supported the Brazilian team in 1970 in Mexico. And it was, <laughs> and it was like... 1990, right? 1989, 1990. Yeah. Brazilians will always remember the love that you guys gave to the Brazilian team in 1970 when we were champions. So do something for me. That yeah. it can bind people together in a way that, you know, what else could do that? I can think of a music. Can music do that? Maybe. Yeah, I I think so. Uh, music can probably do that if you find people who do like the same things you do, um, like the artists you do, or a certain style of music. Well, maybe. I think I I think that that can create a bond there's a there's a beautiful scene in haruki murakami's 19q4 mm -hmm. i think i get the title right um and on the first page um character a character gets into the taxi cab and there the the driver is listening to leos janacek's sinfonietta Nice. Which is which is not a totally obscure piece, but in the world of classical music, it's not one of these pieces that everybody knows. So it's a very specific taste, and the the character notices and 
sort of makes an observation that that not everybody who would get into the cab would recognize this thing. And I was reading that too, like, and, and it has the same effect, of course, on the reader. If you know that that piece of music, you feel already welcomed into the story, into the book. You have a special place in there. And so I, I do think that that if I got into the into a cab, let's say in Japan or in Mumbai, and they would be playing The Cure, uh, I, I, I would just fall in love with the place right there and then, you know, as something international, as something that people can relate to, even though uh, it might not be necessarily there. Yeah, I think you can create really interesting bonds with people you don't know because you love yeah. the same music. I don't yeah. know if you get a free taxi ride. You know, that's <laughs> that to me would be different. Would you get yeah. a free taxi ride because someone loves Johann Sebastian Bach or the Rolling Stones yeah. or Beyonce, right? And I think that in the case of soccer, just the power of Maradona. I think I mentioned to you that other story. In, in I was traveling with my wife in Paris and we got in a really weird situation. I mentioned this story before. So very briefly, I don't, I don't know if you remember that we were surrounded by a bunch of young Arab kids uh, with, yes, like a month, two months ago, I told you this story. I mentioned to you that we were safe because my wife said, oh, we're from Argentina. We're not Americans, we're from Argentina. And these very young teenagers who were very rowdy and uh, they were kind of getting in the face of the American guy who, were, who, were, uh, who was with us. As soon as we saw Argentina, they said, oh, Maradona, Maradona, Maradona. And that completely diffused any kind mm. of potential mm. risk because they love Maradona. So oh, okay. yeah. the power of soccer is just, well, not the soccer, these figures, right? I mean, this, this, these people are just so huge in the minds and, and in the hearts of people in many, many different places. Yeah. And I think that something like that was, was palpable in the past uh, couple of weeks with Messi. Who is not Maradona? I don't know. I don't know if Messi, because he's still around, will have the kind of a stature that Pele and Maradona had, that kind of mythical sort of um, prestige that has, you know, Pele is still alive. And actually, he's kind of dying these days. But, you know, you, you talk about Maradona in many places and there is even a church, the Maradona church. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yes. I mean, this yeah. kind of insane, crazy love yeah. and devotion that people have for a figure that becomes sanctified them and, and 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 holy in in their minds. Well, he had the hand of God goal, so he had that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, which was also a very interesting moment in 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 the contemporary history of Argentina because that kind of God goal had nothing to do with soccer, right? It had to do with something completely different. Yeah, yeah, and well, that's what I'm seeing a lot of these days, uh, Tim, with this World Cup. That a lot of things are happening that have very few things to do with football and have a lot of things to do with politics and colonialism. Yes, exactly. 
Um, and while, while I do appreciate sort of on, on the international stage, a, a kind of camaraderie among football fans, when I grew up in Germany, I also experienced the hatred for other teams that that soccer was a uniting but also a, a very strongly dividing force i remember being in berlin and getting into these subway trains where fans from hertha bsc were traveling to the game and they were drunk even before they got to the game um, right. the cars were trashed and they always fought with their opponents and it it was it was it, it was really disturbing to me as a as a kid and as a young man to see that and there's a movie actually with Gary Oldman called The Firm and it doesn't have to do anything with the American The Firm um which is about hooligans in in Great Britain and just showing how willingly people use force and violence just because they want to fight for their team or against the other team. Right. And, and that has always been sort of the, the very dark underbelly of football to me, this, 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 this brutal violence that, that people are willing to engage in just because their team needs to win. And that was something that, coming to the United States, I always found very charming that, yes, like there are some hooligans or some fans. And there was, of course, this incident some years ago in Los Angeles where a um, San Francisco Giants fan I remember that. Got, got beaten and, and, and uh, still no. has brain damage to this day yeah, from it. But, but those incidents are very rare compared to European yeah. soccer. And so that that always made made football for me a little bit mm, kind of uh, it, 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 I always had a bad taste like like talking about football because because there was so much so much of the dark underbelly there. Maybe not here in, in the US where Football Nobody is still it. somewhat marginal, but yeah. But I, I don't think that you see the kind of um, rivalries and and passionate hatred that you have for, for fans of the other team, as you can see, not only in Europe, but also in Latin America and in other places. Back in April, I took my, my son to, to a game at the really famous and legendary uh, Azteca Stadium in Mexico City, where you know Brazil won the that World Cup in 1970, and that was the first time that I was taking a media to a, to a football game. And I remember very well that aside from you know the the amazing experience that we had watching that game, it was a really good game. Uh, Pachuca playing uh, Cruz Azul, two two big Mexican teams. How unpleasant it was to be sitting right next to three very drunken guys who um, were suspicious of, of me because I wasn't rooting for their team. And at some point, you know, one of them addressed me to question me, how come I wasn't rooting for Cruz Azul? Um, and I was 
you know, I diffuse the situation by saying something like, you know, it's just not my style. I, I like your team, but I, I, I just not the kind of guy who's going to jail, etc. But it was at some point I felt threatened by by this this guy, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that happens a lot. I think in many many places that uh, sports, uh, maybe not only football, but football definitely it's a uh, the kind of a sport where you see this happening a lot brings out the worst, uh, the absolute worst in in fans because that's mixed with, you know, the worst kind of toxic masculinity and <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and drugs and alcohol, especially yeah. alcohol. I think that I think that hooligans of any nationality can separate getting drunk and, and being violent with uh, showing love and support for their team. And that's very problematic. Now, since I don't go to watch games at the stadium, I really don't have to deal with any of that. So I can sort of separate that from what I consider that worth in in in, in the game, which is, you know, just, just the beauty of it and how how interesting it can be to follow a team throughout the season or as it has always been the case for me to try to watch every single game every four years because I do not have a team that I like uh, that I follow every year, yeah. every season, every game. I don't do that. I'm not that kind of fun. But I absolutely have to watch games in the World Cup. Now, this particular World Cup has been very problematic because, you know, if there are a lot of criticism uh, that's directed to FIFA and to the business of football, this is the right place and the right time to blast these people for their dishonesty, for the corruption of the FIFA, uh, for the murderous, horrible, nasty way in which this this World Cup was organized with... uh, death of thousands of, of workers from impoverished nations yes. that um you know that very few people are addressing i think that you know we we like soccer so football so much that we're willing to 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 close our eyes to to the nasty realities of this of this world cup but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen yeah that's that's very disconcerting to me that so much went wrong uh, before the World Cup even started, corruption, the death of 1,600 workers, um, that they awarded Qatar the World Cup, even though they had to push it to to winter when usually the leagues are playing, and and it's like it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, sure. um, and. So they were so greedy that they were willing like just to break any any kind of football rule like in order to have it there. Um and that we're still willing to just put it aside and then watch the games and talk about the games as though the other things never happened. And that's yeah. That's that's really disconcerting on a level that that you're watching these things but you know uh there's blood on everyone's hands there, you know, and in Qatar yeah. is not really not, like... not on everyone's hands, but in a few hands. I think that I think the Qataris have bloody hands, but I don't think yeah. that 
I don't think that the players have bloody hands or the fans have bloody hands for. Well, for but they agree, but they're still agreeing to to go there, you know, and play and. Well, yeah, but I mean, um, I I've heard that argument, Tim, and the first thing that comes to mind is to say, uh, well, this is of course how about this, right? It's like. You you have to you have to immediately try to to put this in the context of other yeah. horrible things that happen, and to people saying how can you watch the World Cup knowing that all these people died, I say well how can you travel with your American passport and keep your American passport knowing all the shit that Americans have done in other places, the day you return your American passport I will stop watching the World Cup. It's still nobody needs the World Cup. You know, it's it's just a big money. Well, nobody who doesn't, nobody, nobody who doesn't like soccer needs the World Cup. Uh, I mean, it's like I said, this is to me, this is beyond the business of of football. Yeah. To me, it's beyond the politics of FIFA, and I understand. I, 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 I am aware why Qatar was able to to get this 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 huge. Um, opportunity to promote themselves and to make a lot of money. I do know that the whole thing started with Nicolas Sarkozy in France trying to sell weapons to Qatar. And I know that the then president of FIFA, Michel Platini, was the one who was in charge of negotiations with the Qataris. I know that both Platini and the then FIFA president ended up in big trouble because of corruption even Sarkozy ended up in big legal trouble because of corruption and and all of that is you know very yeah. disturbing and very uh, problematic but at the same time I, I I will keep saying that that the World Cup is is not just about uh, soccer it's about about football about the sport about the business it's about something that from my perspective goes beyond that and taps into really interesting conversations that have to do with uh, national pride, tribal competition, uh, memories of childhood, ritual, um, uh, hero uh, worship, and many, many other things that are profoundly connected to the lives and the longing of billions of people in many, many different places. Yeah. So yeah. for yeah. that reason, I do think that we need the World Cup. I mean, I need it every four years. I absolutely need to have the World Cup. <laughs> and as any American, Brazilian, German, British, Russian kid, well, let's not include the Russians in this list, or Ukrainian kids, what what are their feelings about the World Cup? And they they love it. They they're learning to love it, and they're learning to need it. Yeah, we 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 are of course not just bread and butter in our lives, and and I totally get your point about that. I I still find that that the unifying forces of sports, like usually. I think are, are much much weaker than anything else and and yeah for three or four weeks like we have sort of this this feeling of oh we're getting along together uh we're on the same 
field like when Iran played the U.S. team and um, they sort of had their moments together and the Americans really hated to see yeah. the Iranians lose, even though they had, I mean, they were rivals on the field. You know what many Iranians felt about that team? They hated, the Iranians hated that team because they they, they understood that that was the government's team. And people in Iran were not supporting the Iranian team. Well, the but the Iranian team did not sing the national anthem, you know, and and the their families. Time, the second they, time they did because they, they were probably threatened. But their their families were actually threatened by the government. Exactly. exactly. Know, and and so they actually showed support for the protest movement in Iran and yeah but it was kind of bland and it just lasted a little bit of course I understand who wants to who wants to be put in jail when you come back home right yeah especially when your family is under threat you know it's exactly. not just about yourself um, exactly. but, um there was this Iranian mountain climber who was in some competition and she didn't wear a hat scarf during the competition. I remember. And a lot yeah. of people saw that as, as a protest. And now recently, she's back in Iran, and uh, recently she issued a statement that that wasn't a protest, but they also learned that her family's house was bulldozed. They just wow. came and got rid of the whole house. So the threat against families of prominent athletes is real. Exactly. So, yeah. 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 Which which gives this um, um, quote unquote sport a very different connotation, and it's, it will never be just about the sport. It has to do with politics. I mean, just look at the way that the entire continent of Africa reacted to the victory of Morocco over first Spain and then Portugal. And the symbolic yeah. value, the symbolic value that it had for millions of people in Africa yes. that for the first time in history, one African team makes it all the way to quarterfinals, has a shot at the semifinals now um, playing uh, France. <laughs> France. The colonial power, the yes. Symbolic value of going out against France. And of course, I'm 100% behind Morocco. Because I also come from, you know, a third world colonized kind of background. But how how huge it was to to defeat Portugal and Spain for 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 Morocco. And yeah. it was not just like, oh, this was a good game. No, it was a kind of redemption, reivindication of a lot, a lot of things that uh cultures across the world feel uh when they go up against uh big Western powers. From Europe or from or, or the US in this case, you know, where we live. The value, the emotional, intellectual, uh, spiritual value that comes from from defeating your colonizer. It's just such an amazing thing. And I don't think that this would have been the case if you know Morocco had defeated Spain or Portugal in tennis or basketball or anything else it had to be football for it to to have this this kind of intense uh, social value i did hear the opinion that the world cup is now bigger than the olympics in recognition and impact 
on the general population. Um, and it might be true. And, and there is something weird about football um, in that I was looking before before we started recording, like yesterday, actually, I, I looked at mm -hmm. it, at fiction about sports. Because I remember short stories and novels about runners, about boxers, baseball. Um, but I could not for the life of me think of anything about football, soccer. Um, of course, there's the movie Bended Like Beckham. Right. But, um, I couldn't think of one. There's one, Red or Dead, um, but I had never heard of that. Uh, it's supposedly a very, very good novel set in England. But I, I think there's something in soccer that doesn't lend itself to fiction or writing. And I think that's something exactly what you're what you're speaking of when you say, oh, it it's more powerful to be victorious in football than it is for for tennis player because when we talk about fiction it's often about the individual pursuits of people mm -hmm. boxers even baseball but players they play a specific position and are very isolated in their pursuit even though they are on a team but if you're a pitcher you're very much your own your own team uh, in a way and but soccer um is really a, a team sport. Mm -hmm. in, 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 and while you have people like Messi, Pelé, uh, Maradona, um, it's more about the flag and the team than about individual personalities. And, and that might be why, why it doesn't get a fictional treatment that often because you normally don't know all that much about the personal lives of its players. Maradona might be an exception because he had a very messy personal life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he was like a rock star, you know, a lot of, yeah. a lot of things that, that you see in, in, in other public figures with a lot of, of public drama. Yeah. And yeah, but even, even sort of the, 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 the very, popular German players that I remember sort of from when I was a child, Franz Beckenbauer, Paul oh, Breitner, Gerd Müller, yeah. the striker. I don't know nothing about their private lives. I mean, really, right. it's, yeah. Because they, they probably were good citizens, good, you know, family man, respectable, honorable. Maradona was everything, <laughs> but he was a drug addict, loved cocaine, loved women, loved to open his big mouth. He was a mess. <laughs> That's why it's interesting. What's yeah. interesting about good citizens? We are so fucking boring. You have to be a bad boy. Yeah. So, but, you know, there are really good documentaries about Maradona. Yeah. Amy Rica made a really good documentary. There, you, you find them online because uh, he's elicited the curiosity of a lot of really talented people. Good songs written about Maradona. A lot of songs written about Maradona in in Argentina, in in Spain. It's a very very important figure. 
Yeah, I, I wonder who might write the the big Maradona novel, you know, the fictionalized life of, of Maradona or somebody like Maradona. Well, there are a couple of, right? One from Argentina, you were talking about books on football. There are good nonfiction books written in Spanish about, about mm. football. One mm -hmm. of them, a guy from Argentina, Martin Caparros, he's a writer and journalist, really talented guy. Uh, he has a book on football. Uh, I don't remember the title. And there's a Mexican guy who's written a lot about football, Juan Villoro. Um, he's a very smart guy. He's a good writer. And he has a book that's called God is Round. And I think those are the two <laughs> books that come to mind when, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm thinking about, about books and, and, yeah. and football. But they are not fiction. They are nonfiction. Yeah. I'll I'll do the I'll do the work to send you the titles for the so you can include them in our in our yes website. please do please do yeah. and I, if I can't find anything else but but yes I I can recall a single novel that deals with football yeah no yeah, and we I'm, have these 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 iconic boxing novels like Fat City we have the baseball yeah, novel I the met Lee Garner many years ago he's a great guy yes. Yes. And we have the natural, of course, for baseball. And we have right. boxing short stories from Ernest Hemingway, 50 grand. And but um yeah, we're like the 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 soccer story is kind of missing. The the hero, the soccer hero. Um there's there's very little written on the guy. And maybe that is because of the team sport. I don't know. That that's a you know, because let's say you you even have really good war novels where you have, you know, uh, a battalion, a platoon, and everybody yes. goes out as a team and fight. But there is always one guy, right? Yeah, one yeah. main character, one soldier, and you follow that guy. You follow that hero. You're interested in that particular person. Yes, and that allows the the war narrative to be successful. Yeah. It's really interesting, and I never thought about. The point that you're making that that there seemed to be no football uh novel yeah well I'll do some research myself on my side so I, I also wanted to talk a little bit because i'm not a football fan uh i don't watch it the last world cup i really watched extensively was the one in 2014 i was mm -hmm. living in a very tiny town in New Mexico during the summer, there was nothing to do. And so I watched a lot of games at the local bar. Right. Um, um, <clears throat> the dog house, I remember. It was actually it was actually a, a really nice bar, which I discovered too late because I was so appalled by the name that I was like, I'm not going to even go in there. But it was actually quite nice. And I was sitting in the afternoons and watching football on the big screens and having a beer or two. And I remember a game that the German team played. I think it was Brazil. And my apologies if it wasn't that game, but they won seven to nothing. It was it was a ridiculous score. And they scored five goals in the first half. And, and it was so entertaining to see these goals that that I want to really make a case for having bigger goals, the physical goals, or 
Or there should be a rule that the goalies can't be any taller than four foot eight or five foot zero, something like that. Yep. Because because everybody is waiting. I mean, I'm always waiting for the goals. And 90 minutes is a long time. And when you have games that end in a tie, in a draw, like 1-1, one, 0-0, one, zero, zero, even 2-2, two, two, it's there's just not enough goals. Um, there's so much happening in the midfield, so back and forth and back and forth. Somebody gets the ball, there's a turnover, and then it goes back and forth again. And there's so many. There there are not enough really awesome chances for people to score a goal, which is all the excitement there is really these like uh, when the action is in front of the goal and there's a lot of people and things are happening. And so I'm totally for a rule change there. Yeah, I love that idea. I remember the game, the Friday game between the Netherlands and Argentina. It was really kind of funny and sad to see the giants from the Netherlands. The goalie was like, Nine feet tall. I mean, that guy, his head was hitting the top of the, of the goal. It was just so ridiculous how tall these people were. And you look at Messi, you know, they had to give him, everybody knows they had to give him growth hormones or something because he, was, he wasn't growing and he's that size because he got a hormonal treatment that allowed him to grow a few more inches. Um, Playing against these giants who look like basketball players. Yes. Yes. We won, right? Argentina won, but we had to go to penalty shots because we yeah. couldn't win during the the regular time. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah, that would be a good rule. Goalies need to be no not taller than five feet. Yes, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, I, I, I the, because that's what everybody comes to see. You know, like they they want to see that, um, and. I mean that's that's how baseball changed some of its rules too in order to allow people to hit more, you know. Because... Yeah, but baseball baseball is you know I remember I was here in 1989, and I was following the Sammy Sosa. Oh, but beautiful. Do you remember Mark oh, yeah. McGuire Sammy Sosa uh, battle for for the number of hits and home runs that season? It was just so pathetic to see the way these guys were developing muscle because they were taking all these illegal substances, yeah. the steroids and so on. And I think that sports suffer from these kind of things. Just look at the way, you know, the records were broken at the time. Barry Bonds can make it into the Hall of Fame because, you know, he's a, he has he has like a, a, a world record, quote unquote, because, you know, yeah. baseball yeah. is not really, I mean, we played the World Series in the US and we have one team from Canada that comes and plays the World Series. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> American exceptionalism and vanity and thinking you are the center of the world. Yeah. Even the World Cup is not a World Cup, but you know, it comes close to that because you have teams from many, many different places. Yes. yes. But the World Series of baseball, that's a joke. But baseball could could benefit from you know the implementation of really strict laws that that control a lot of things. Yeah. On the other hand, people complain that they have way too many rules and regulations that that now keep you from enjoying the game. Yeah. A friend of mine always said, "Let them all just 
shoot up, you know, let them all use whatever they want, you know, because we all want to see the records. We all want to see the records being broken, like again and again and again, just like, don't do anything, you know, just let them do whatever they want. And we'll be enjoying like the, to watch, you know, that's, that's it. And the same, yeah, I mean, the same thing is kind of true with cycling. Um, Right. Exactly. Cycling has been so dirty for so long, and remember that guy, Lance Armstrong. What happened? Oh, to him? yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And in the old days, when when they didn't have steroids, they used alcohol, you know, like just to get just to get over the pain. And uh, it's I not a that. it's not a performance enhancing time. drug, but when they yep. would go up the mountains, they just like they drank, they drank, drank, drank. You know, I remember. Well, I don't remember, but I, I know about the good old times where players used to come with a flask in their back pocket, uh, you know, have a shot of whiskey yeah. and a cigarette during the break. <laughs> yeah, Wait for turn to go, you know, back to the plate. <laughs> yeah, and before steroids, it was amphetamines. So, uh, so I don't know. There's... Do you do you remember those days or you hear about those days where professors like you and I used to you know, have a drink and then go to teach and smoke cigarettes. The good old days of being a professor at the, uni- at the universities. There's a beautiful movie. I think it's, I think it's a Danish movie. Definitely Scandinavian. I think the English translation is one more shot. It's amazing. Matt oh Mikkelsen. My. It's oh, a yeah. great. Oh my it's God. A- it's so good. It's, it's so good. It's and one of the exactly- good from two years ago, one year ago, yeah. something like that. Yeah. It's brilliant. And oh. Mats, Mik- Mats Mikkelsen, right? That's his name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he's brilliant. I love that guy. Yeah, he, he is brilliant. He's a really and good bad so, guy, too, in so many sad. movies. It's heartbreaking. It's a really, really sad movie. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. And so for the listeners who haven't seen it, the premise is that a group of high school teachers, four or five guys, decide that in order to make their classrooms a bit more lively again and also make their own lives a little bit more lively again, they're going to be at the legal threshold of alcohol uh, 0.08 for 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 the whole day and teach and teach under the influence under the low influence of alcohol and it's a beautiful it's a very melancholy movie but also super funny at times um it's yeah gorgeous i i, I don't know like i i didn't have any high expectations and it was just it's so beautifully acted and and the sadness that these people experience mixed with these moments of absolute lightness when they feel taller, bigger than life and, and can embrace the students and can meet students where they where they are. Yeah, fantastic movie. Well, I remember going to university in Mexico City and taking my, I took a, seminar i was majoring in philosophy i took a seminar on uh, baroque spinoza and every time we sat for that class we had a bottle of tequila in the center of the table <laughs> oh, oh lovely. it made total sense like you cannot discuss spinoza without drinking tequila 
And, you know, the eight of us, the professor and the students, you know, really, really took that as something perfectly normal. It made total sense. Yeah. And we would not get drunk. We just had really interesting, profound, mm -hmm. passionate, intelligent conversations uh, about uh, philosophy, ethics. And I think any any conversation that had to do with ethics should be discussed with a bottle of tequila. Yeah. I remember going to the lounge, the faculty lounge at the Stanford as a guest and having students and staff, you know, going around serving martinis yeah. to the persons who were, you know, taking a break between classes or after classes. You have a martini and then you, you go back to teach. I remember my friend Michael McClure telling me back in the 50s and maybe 60s, 70s, mm -hmm. you know, he would teach and he always had a flask with him in his um, in his pocket because, yeah. you know, that, that, and, and of course you smoke, right? Everyone is yeah. smoking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, when I was a grad student, there was still the practice of bringing wine yes. to the classroom. Yes. And people got rid of that soon after. Um, just liability issues because somebody would sue, of course, um, at some point. And yeah, we, we got rid of the, a, a lot of the nice little things that make the classroom a better setting. I understand that. I mean, when we became so fucking pure and clean, I hate that. Yeah, because nobody got drunk. You know, there there was never like the drinking. Oh. The drinking happened later. You know, maybe after class yeah. when we went to a bar together. No but... one wanted to get drunk in class. Just want to have a little sip of wine. Exactly. 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 So you step outside. You smoke a cigarette outside. Now you can't smoke outside because oh my god. <laughs> kills right yeah, now that i'm an unsmoker i hate when i have to go to a place where someone is smoking because i i'm clean and i'm pure now yeah i have no tolerance for smokers it's pathetic yeah, yeah total non sequitur I, I really love traveling on japanese trains because they had these little booths in between cars where you could go in and smoke and then come out again it was it was lovely they always allowed smoking somewhere. Um, so yeah. that was really cool to see. No, I, I, I feel we, we, we have lost sort of the spirit of camaraderie of looking at, at the classroom, not as a business, but like now we look at it as a business, but we've lost this ability to look at the classroom as socializing, as having an interesting discussion of learning something about life and, now we're all about learning outcomes and shut it's... up. I hate, I hate that term. Oh you my god, me. I know. So I had to deal with that. You know, work working on reports for WASC and how serious everyone gets when you talk about learning outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 brutal, and especially in writing when you teach writing, you don't know how people will react and when that's going to take effect you know that's it's you you can't measure any of that it's just not possible so this whole idea of learning outcomes in the arts is is just stupid yeah, yeah. what's your learning outcome after you read Bertolt Brecht yeah like what do you expect in the in the student 
yeah, and it would be nice to just, yeah, like drink tequila. My first book fair I went to in Mexico, in Guadalajara, there was always tequila, mezcal, yep. actually, not tequila. There was always mezcal at the stand, That's sort of drink at, my, at my home base. And it was lovely. Nobody was drunk. Nobody at all. You know, it was just like, yeah, it was a nice thing. And, and everybody had a good time. So we have to... We have to switch to our recommendations already. Oh, come on, really? I know. Already? I know. That's great. Okay. All right. Should I go now with my recommendation? Yeah. Give okay. us your recommendation. Uh, I have to. My only recommendation today is Pinocchio. Oh. The Guillermo del Toro film. He's been working on this film for a long, long time, um, 20 years or so, maybe less. Uh, but I finally watched it yesterday. I tried to go and watch it at the movie theater on a big screen, and I just couldn't. So I had to watch it on Netflix. It opened mm. yesterday on Netflix. Uh -huh. It's just the most beautiful film that I watched in a long, long time. It brought me to tears, literally, at the end of the of the film it's just such a beautiful well made well thought out fantastic masterpiece by Guillermo del Toro and this other guy Gustafsson he co-directed with some guy who's uh, more knowledgeable in animation than he is it was just brilliant Inocchio. and right after that um, I, I remember that you know Pinocchio is based on a novel by Carlo Collodi. So I'm that's next on my list. I, now I want to read the book because I never read mm. the novel. I probably read the kids version of Pinocchio. Yeah. Pinocchio, let me say in, in Spanish of Pinocchio when I was a little kid. But I never read the actual novel by Carlo Collodi. Mm. So I will recommend both the novel even though I haven't read it, but it, it's a <laughs> good novel and the film. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool re uh, recommendation. Uh, my pick today is a very slim novel by Robert Coover. I have a sort of love-hate relationship with Robert Coover. Um, I, I think he wouldn't be able to publish anything these days because he's super offensive in so many ways. But he's also very irreverent and and always interesting and abrasive and entertaining. And the novel I picked is, because we're talking about sports today, Whatever Happened to Gloomy Gus of the Chicago Bears? And it's a imagining of Richard Nixon as a quarter, no, not a quarterback, a running back for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Who, who oh. they nickname Iron Butt because he's very uh, sort of very, very limited in his in his abilities. He just takes the 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 ball and just runs and um, he he has only like a very limited like very limited capacity to to memorize routes and, and signals. but but once he gets going, he's just unstoppable. And so 
it's a it's a it's a hilariously funny book uh really crazy uh it brings in this is in the set in the 30s it brings in the rise of the nazis uh and anti-semitism and so it also has some heft even though the tone is usually very light and and ironic but it's a, it's a yeah, it's a marvel. Um, I read it. I found the book at Strands like years and years ago, and I just fell in love with it. Wonderful book. And I think Dezank, the independent publisher, has put it out again. Um, but you can still get it even in an edition from 1989. So Robert Coover, Whatever Happened to Gloomy Gus of the Chicago Bears? Great. I'll check it out. Yeah. Well, it's too short, but so good to see you. Yes. And um, if you have time, the final uh, of the World Cup is coming up on December 18th. Yes. My prediction is going to be Argentina-Morocco, because I really hope that Morocco defeats France. And I'm pretty sure Argentina is going to get Croatia back on that airplane. That is actually my prediction too. I think yeah. Morocco, Argentina, it would be in in a weird way. It would so, in some sense, I want Messi to win because he's never been very successful at the World Cup. So that would really cap yeah. a fantastic career if he would go out a champion. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, it would also be really fantastic to see Croatia and Morocco duke it out. Um, yeah, no, not really. Absolutely. <laughs> it's gonna be Argentina, Morocco, and Argentina is gonna be 3-1. Yeah, but I also have a I, I I like the French team a lot, so I'm 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 I won't be disappointed if the French team wins either. I like that. I just don't like them as much. So I like Argentina and Morocco. <laughs> some poetic justice in this in this planet. Thank you for listening to Foreign Domestic and Forbidden. Our music is by Springtide. It's their Coney Island train blues, and it comes to us via the free music archive. And we will have one last episode this year on December 29th. So make sure to listen to that too. And we might we might talk sort of about the year, the outgoing year, and what we expect to happen in 2023. So please dial in again and yeah, enjoy the holidays, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.